Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you very much. You know, this morning we're talking about belonging, and as I heard that song, we're, we're singing about the great I Am, right? God, who is God Almighty, who is transcendent, who is wholly other than us, right? He's different from us, and yet He calls us to belong in intimacy with Him with this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our machinations of worship, we miss it. In our going about our worship, we miss the God we worship who is there saying, I want you. You need me, but I need you too. I created you to have fellowship and relationship with you. You belong to me. We belong together. It's a, it's a, the irony is so intimate and personal. And people miss it. People think that they have to somehow measure up to God when God took care of all that. He took care of all the measuring up because we were never going to measure up. And we will never measure up. So you know what he did? He just, he just filled in the gap. And he brought us together equal with him. Equal with him in that he's saying, I want you. I want union with you. I want you and me to be together forever. It's called belonging. So this morning we're in this series on parenting uh, and family. We were talking about a phase, that a phase is a time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence a kid's future. And here we are with these graduates in front of us, and they've got futures ahead of them. And you all, all y'all, have been working to influence their future for many years. Some of you just recently, and others of you since the moment they were born, before a diaper ever touched their soft little behind, you were there. You were there for them, for the express purpose of loving them and raising them for this day when they could go off. So the phase, this phase for them is over, and this phase for you is over, And maybe in the last few months, this would be pertinent to you. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to get serious about the time you have now, right? Well, now, for some of you, you've got the summer before they leave to go off to college. Now you realize, okay, I've got the summer. I've got till middle August, maybe. They're going to be working. They're going to be doing things. And you walk by their bedroom. We won't get into all that, right? Right? Because that's all... That's all very fresh, and it's memorable for those of us who have already walked that road. We talked about uh, a week ago how every week matters. We talked about these marbles and how each marble represents a week in the life of your kid from 1 to 18. And these are are Amber Dolezal's kids from youngest (laughs) to oldest and how many marbles she's had left, she has has left. And for, for Londa with her son, Parker, She's lost all her marbles. They're all gone. She doesn't have any left. Um, 
We started last week talking about the six things that every kid needs over time from the adults that are important in their lives. Six things. And last week we talked about time over time, spending time every day over time, time every week, time every month, and then that time every year when you do special things. And that time over time creates history and weaves together something inside of kids and students and teenagers. We talked about love over time. Love over time brings a sense of worth because a kid says, I am worth being loved by somebody else. And I am worth being loved by God. There's something about me that's important enough that God would love me. That's hard for us. Because when we look in the mirror, literally or figuratively, when we look in the mirror at ourselves, we see all the things that God can't love. We can't imagine God actually loving us. But love over time with your kids, love brings worth. And when a kid realizes, oh, I guess I'm worth something, that these adults in my life love me unconditionally, I guess I can believe there's a God who loves me unconditionally. That kid is going to grow up and be able to give love. Because when you don't get any love, you don't have any love to give away. And then the third thing we talked about last week was that words over time give direction in a kid's life. Words over time will shape the direction of their thinking, of their self-esteem, their self-concept. Words over time. We can all give words into a kid's life. When you go out today again, when you see a kid in here or out there, you can give some words to that kid. You can give affirmation. You can give it to one another. We can give it to each other. And it builds us up. And words over time create direction for a young person. Here's the fourth thing. This week we're just doing one. The fourth thing every kid needs from the adults and uh, parents in their lives, is they need, they need people. Every kid needs a circle, and it's what we're going to call a tribe. Tribes over time. Tribe is kind of a word that's more popular now, now that we have, you know, what do they call it, the internets, right? We've got this, this online, this newfangled online thing, right? Newfangled, right? It's been around for quite a while. It's been around for all of your lives. You don't know life without it, right? And tribes uh, form online around a common uh, cause, around affinities, around uh, things that you're passionate about. And so you've got, it used to be you'd have your, what did they call it, discussion boards? Like back in the 90s, your chat rooms and discussion boards. And people would get together and talk about things that were in common. And we define ourselves by tribes, We say that we're, uh, I've heard somebody say the other day, well, I'm a foodie. Some people would say they're conservative. Some people would say they're they're progressive. Other people, like politically, might say that they're moderate. They're they're, they're tribes. They're groups. Some people will say, well, I'm a saver. Somebody else would say, I'm a spender. Somebody would say, like, I'm a Cowboys fan. Then, of course, everybody would hate them, right? So there's tribes around sports teams. Some people would say, I still, after 15 years, I'm sorry. I don't know the terminology. You've got the the Hawkeyes and the what? Cyclones, that's right. Right. 
Trice, Trice, is that the name of the stadium? Did I say it right? Okay, I've been there. I saw a game there one time. I got a bad sunburn during that game. So you've got, you know, you've got Hawkeye fans, you've got Cyclone fans, you've got Iowa and Iowa State fans. When I moved to Iowa, they were both the same to me. They're both in Iowa. I was from New York. They're only like a couple hours apart. They're all Iowans. It doesn't make any difference. They're all the same. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. Them shooting words, right? Or at least fighting words. So tribes. Tribes are things that we belong to. They're just people who share something in common, like a club that you can sign up for. But when someone finds and becomes a part of a tribe over time, the role of a tribe, the role that a tribe plays in their life becomes very significant, akin to a family, or at least a family of friends, to a community. I have a question for you. Is there a person or a group in your life where when the worst about you is known, and in the knowing of the worst about you, you're loved even more. Where even when the worst about you is revealed, you are still welcome, you are still forgiven, you're still accepted, and you belong even more. Are any of you part of something like that, where you can come in and you could tell somebody the worst thing about you? This room probably isn't that place, is it? As much as I and probably you would love for it to be, we're not there yet probably, right? You're not going to come in and tell somebody about your deep, dark, hidden sin that you've been struggling with for the last fill-in-the-blank number of years. But is there a place in your life where you could go and share that thing that you wouldn't want anybody to know about, that you wouldn't want to get put out on social media. But then in the sharing of it, the people in that tribe would love you even more. They would appreciate you even more. Your value and respect would even go up. We talked about what we do over time. What we do every week matters with our kids what we do with ourselves and with people around us in our tribes, in our circles, in our clubs matters because when you help kids and others feel welcomed in a tribe over time, you're helping them to develop a significant sense of belonging. So there was a seventh grade boy who started seventh grade, had just moved into town, didn't know anybody, and had to show up at the school in seventh grade. You know, kids look their best in seventh grade, right? They're, they're sharp. They look as good as they're going to look as a senior. They're smart. They're as uh, uh, talented. They're as conversant. Not really. Some, for a lot of kids, seventh grade is very awkward. So he showed up in seventh grade. What did he want? He wanted to belong. He had to find a place to belong somewhere. The guy who goes to the bar and he needs to get a drink What is he looking for? Well, he's looking for maybe an escape from his troubles, but he's looking for a place to belong. Cheers, right? He's looking for friends. The kid who goes out for the basketball team, he's on the basketball team. What is that team to him? That's a place to belong. He wants to be accepted 
by his teammates. He wants to work together to accomplish victory. But it's a place to belong. So I just described myself and my dad and my sons. We're all looking for a place to belong. You want people around you to care about you, to respect you, to feel like you have a sense of value and a sense of worth. Tribes. And the Trinity is the most intimate setting. It's the most intimate tribe that God invites us into. And he says, you belong. I've filled in the gap. Now just come and be with me. Come and be with me. And people are thinking, oh, well, I can't be good enough. I can't go into that church. I'm not good enough. All those people in there, they think they know so much, and they're so much better than me. We have all these concepts in our head. When in reality, it's so the irony that God just wants us. He's moved heaven and earth to get us. And yet there's still this thing that we don't feel accepted. Why? Because often as kids, we don't get put into a tribe. Our family isn't a tribe. It's, it's, it's a group of people. That's not really a group. It's just individual people in a house. Or the church sometimes isn't a tribe. It's just individual people who come in and they sit down and they all look the same way and then they, they literally look the same way and they look the same way and then they all get up and go out and they don't interact. Thankfully, this church isn't like that. But there are a lot of churches that are like that. But it's possible to misunderstand the point of tribes. It's possible to take some, a place, a setting where you're supposed to belong and do just the opposite. So go with me to Luke chapter 15. Because the Pharisees, who were part of a tribe, literally part of the tribe of Levi, right, the, the, the priestly tribe, they were a part of the religious leadership of their day, but they were, they were a clique, they were a group of guys, and they were trying, on the one hand, to get people to, to be a part of, the, of the, the people of God, but on the other hand, they were doing all these things to keep people out. So as you guys graduate and go on into your lives, you're going to be either tribe attenders and tribe participants or tribe creators, because there's going to be both, there has to be both. But I just want to encourage you to find the right tribes, be the right tribe member, and create the right tribes. Right? Because the quality and direction of your life is determined by the tribe that you're in, by the people you hang out with, by your friends. And in Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of hanging out with the wrong people. Because at the beginning of that chapter... They've got this terrible rumor that they're going to spread about him and charge against him. And that is that he, he welcomes sinners. And he even eats with them. He eats with sinners. Dirty-handed sinners. Unclean. People you don't really want to be seen in public with. We kind of understand that a little bit, right? We struggle with that as people. I mean, if we're going to be honest, there are some people that we probably would rather not be seen in public with and replace them with other people. But the people that absolutely the Pharisees were not to be seen in public with, by their rules and regulations, Jesus hung out with. And in answering their accusations and charges, number one, he said, I'm guilty as charged. But then he told these stories. He told the story about the lost sheep, and he told the story about the lost coin. 
Then he told the story about the lost son, which so many of you are familiar with, the prodigal son, the son who wants to take the father's inheritance that is due him, get it a little early, do your giving while you're living, Dad, right? Because I'm knowing where I'm going. I've got some place to go, and I've got things to do, and I need money to do it with. So he goes off, and, and he does his thing. And he lives his life, and the Bible even frames it as riotous living. And he squanders it all. He loses all the money. And he's impoverished. And all of his friends are gone because he has no more money to buy their fun with. And he finds himself feeding pigs, which are unclean in Jewish culture and custom. He finds himself tending to and feeding pigs and being so impoverished and so hungry and so wasted, he would really like to eat some of the food that he's giving to the pigs. And at that point, he repents. And in fact, if you look in Luke 15, verse, what verse is it? I think it's verse 18, uh, verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses. That's a fancy way of saying he repented. Because repenting is to change your mind, to change your thinking, to transform your thinking in such a way that it affects exactly what you do. It absolutely affects what you do. And he came to his senses, and you see here that he he changes. And he says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants that I looked down on, honestly, when I was there, they were like, "I I didn't pay any attention to them. But how many of them have, they've got, They've got food to spare. And here I am. I'm starving to death. So I'm going to set out. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's the place he'd gotten to. He he did not feel, nor was he in his own estimation, worthy to be called God's son, or this father's son. And my question to us is, Do we ever get to that point where we feel like we're not worthy to be called God's child? I mean, am I the only one who looks in the mirror and thinks, dude, you got problems. You're a fraud. You're an imposter. You're a phony. You you try to let other people think you're like anybody when, when you got going on inside your head what you got going on inside your head? When you struggle with the things you struggle with, when you fail and let yourself down time after time with the things you fail and let yourself down with, I'm, I don't think I'm the only one, right? I'm not the only one. And, and he was saying, I'm not worthy to be called your son, Dad. And he says, make me like one of your hired servants. I, I'd just as soon be in that low position. So he got up and he went to his father. And there's all kinds of paintings about this, right? There's all kinds of scenes in movies that take this type and recreate it in all different scenarios. The reconciliation, the return of the prodigal. How will he be received is the question. Will he be rebuffed and rejected as he deserves? Or will the return of the prodigal elicit sympathy and compassion as the biblical tale reveals? Lots of movies about this. So he goes back, and it says here, but while he was still a long way off, and there's all kinds of speculation about what that means and the implications of that, his father saw him. 
And what was he filled with? The same thing it says Jesus was filled with when he looked upon the crowds of people, the mass of humanity that were being led astray by their religious leaders. He was filled with compassion. And then what did he do? He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son had his heart right out there. He said, Father, I'm no longer. I've, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He says it again. He said it in his head and he went and he repeated it to his dad. And he believed it. We do the same thing, don't we? We believe it. We believe it. And oh, the irony that God is like, it's okay. I took care of it. I made up the gap. I traded your sin for my righteousness, remember? Oh, did you forget about that? That when you believed in me, I took your sin and I gave you my righteousness, my righteousness that will cover your sin. As you continue in the flesh to sin, my righteousness is more powerful than your sin because of your faith in my son. But he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The prodigal was valued. He was worth something. He belonged. He belonged to the tribe of the family. And he sent his servants out to put together this celebration somewhere else. In fact, earlier in this chapter, Jesus says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who comes to repentance. You ever lose something and find it? You're so excited. I have these. My kids gave me the wireless Apple Ear, AirPods, right? I get to wear them to the Y when I go to the Y. And it's so nice not to get tangled up in the wires. First world problems, right? I lost them the other day. I couldn't find them. I was a little concerned, but I figured they'd turn up. I finally found them. I mean, they're, they're AirPods, right? How excited can you get? I lost my son one time. I lost him for eight days, and I've told you the story. He was there, but I couldn't get to him. I mean, I could get to him, but I couldn't talk to him. He was in a coma, right? I so bad, I just stood there, held his hand, I stood there, and I so bad wanted to say stuff to him. And I I wanted to get my phone and text him like I always do with my kids. I wanted to text him. I couldn't say anything to him. I couldn't speak to him. I couldn't tell him all the things I wanted to tell him. He was lost. He was gone for eight days. Then that day that I I came in and I looked in his eyes and said, Hey, Doug. He smiled at me. He was found. And my whole world lit up. Sunshine broke through the clouds. That's what happened with this guy in this story. He found his son. It's time to celebrate. Because this guy knew, this guy knew that belonging was important. This guy knew that, that 
He was a smart dad. He knew tribes mattered. He knew belonging mattered. So he did two things. He gave his son a ring, and then he held a party for him. He threw a party to assure him that he still had a community of people. He still had a tribe that he belonged to. We did that with my son. We wanted him to know. We, our, our goal was to never leave him in the room by himself as he was recovering. Never would he open his eyes and look around and one of us wouldn't be there. Why? Because we wanted him to know that he belonged. And this dad in the story wanted to send a clear message that there's a seat for you at the table. There's a place where you're known, where you're welcome, where you're forgiven, and where you belong. Peter actually puts it like this. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Peter is saying you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're a special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That kind of belonging only happens in tribes. It only happens where you belong. That's why there's gangs in inner cities, right? Their goal is not to wreak havoc. Their goal is to be a part of some place where you belonged, some place where you were loyal to each other, where you had each other's backs. Not the best manifestation of that, right? But that's where they belong because they don't belong in so many other places. And the tribes that most strategically positioned to do that are the family and the church, the family and the body of Christ, the family and the family of God. Kids and teenagers desperately need people who know them, welcome them, and forgive them over time so that they understand and know that they belong because we all want to be known by somebody And we need to know, regardless of whatever failure we have in our lives, that they still believe in us and that we have a place to belong. The idea of belonging is actually what makes the Christian faith distinctive. Our sense of belonging is rooted in the concept of grace. Because if it were up to us to deserve to belong, it would be lost. Grace means this, you don't belong because you deserve to belong You belong because God has accepted and forgiven you. So the idea of grace in your tribe at home, parents, is that your kid doesn't belong because they deserve it. Your kid's not your kid because they deserve it. Your kid doesn't get good things from you because they deserve it. They get it because you've accepted and forgiven and loved them unconditionally. doesn't matter what they do. Think about the advantage of growing up, realizing that you belong to a church family, you belong to a, a nuclear family where you actually belong and you're going to be accepted. And even when they know the worst about you, they love you even more. Remember what we said that about what happens in a kid's life is almost more important than what happens in an adult life because the investment is coming in on the early end. It's, that's why it is so crucial to introduce kids and teenagers to the gospel and introduce them to Jesus Christ when they're young. Because when, they when they can be loved when they're young, then they can love when they get older. And when they're not loved and when they're not worth much while they're young, 
They're not going to have much to give to others when they get older. You can't feel forgiven by people who don't know you, so they need to be known. You can't feel really known by people who have never known enough about you to forgive you. They have to be forgiven. If you're not known and forgiven, you never feel like you really belong. You only belong when people know you and they're okay with your junk. That's when you belong. How many people can say that about you? Yeah. Yeah, Jeff knows me and he's okay with my junk. And I belong when I'm around him. We belong together as friends. Who can say that about you? And who can you say that about? That they know me. They know all my CRAP. They, they love me anyway, right? You can't say that word in church, so I didn't. I use junk because that's the Christian word. They need people who have history with them, people who have known them, people who have done all these things over time with them so that when they show up broken, lonely, wounded, with a change of mind, a transformed thinking, and they want to come back, they need to be sure that they know that they have a seat at your table. So be the kind of a parent or leader who is waiting with a ring and with a party. Not with a, I told you so. Why didn't you listen to me? How much did you lose? What did you get into? Are you, are, you, are you being followed? Are you being searched for by the police? They just need a ring and a party. And all the rest of that stuff will take care of itself over time. So what kind of tribes are you looking for? What kind of tribes are you creating in your life? For your family, for your friends, for your relatives, and for others? What kind of tribes do you belong to? And what kind of tribes are you creating? What kind of a culture in your family? If somebody messes up, do they still belong? And the friends that you guys have are going to determine the direction and quality of your lives, you graduates. That's right, Parker. Parker, you actually look interested today. No, you've got to see Parker. Parker's looking at me with those glasses like he's thinking about what I'm saying. The kind of friends that you have, Parker, will determine the direct, direction and quality of your life. That's true for all of us. You guys create tribes. You be the ones. You be the tribe makers. When you go out into the, into the workplace, into the neighborhoods, uh, into the schools, into the dorms, you be the ones that create the tribes that you would want to be a part of. And you welcome everybody in. And then pretty soon, they will, they will come to your values. And they will reciprocate your love. And they'll receive your forgiveness. They'll become the kind of a person that you're, you're trying to be. Tribes are so important. Kids need tribes over time. And the truth is, we all do. That's why this fall we're going to be talking about small groups. We're going to try to, we're going to, try to reinvent and recreate small group ministry here because we all need a circle of people that we could share anything with and in the sharing, they value us even more. So you guys, congratulations. Be tribe makers, tribe tenderers. Tend tend to the tribes in your life. And we are excited for what you're going to do. And I'm thankful that you've had tribes that you've been part of groups 
of people that have built into your life, starting with your parents and then other family and friends, work associates, classmates. It's a wonderful life. It's a great country, America, huh? You guys have been blessed, and you, you now have an opportunity to go out and bless others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have this morning just to think about this story again that Jesus told. When they were upset with him because he hung around sinners, he, he told them that they were really all like the prodigal and that God would have a ring and a robe and sandals and throw a party for them when they were ready to come to their senses and come to the Father and be welcomed at his table. God, help us. Help us to be like that dad for the people in our lives, for the kids in our lives, for the kids around us who we're connected to, for our friends and for others. Help us to see people who are moving toward you and to welcome them with open arms. God, you're the judge. We don't have to judge others. You do. And your judgment is perfect. But our judgment is not. So we don't want to judge one another. We want to celebrate one another. So thank you that we can do that this weekend, starting with these graduates. Thank you for today and the graduation ceremony to come and for the family time and the friend time. God, we look to you and we say thank you for all the blessings you've given to us. You're a great and wonderful God. In Jesus' name, amen.